Over recent weeks, I've been captivated by that idea that God by nature is loving, and so all of his actions are going to be loving. Looked at the faithfulness of God, and I was looking at James 1.17, which kind of continues to convey that idea, and uh, as a result of a conversation I had with Charlie earlier this week, I ended up going back through the rest of the chapter, so you can blame him for that. But uh, we're going to just take a look at James chapter 1. James uh, apparently was a brother of Christ, obviously wasn't uh, aware of the fullness of who he was until after his resurrection. But what I want you to note with this letter is that he writes to the 12 tribes scattered all over the world. He was, a, he was an early leader of the church, and so, you know, like when we send out a newsletter, it goes to the people we know here. It's not very large, you know, a few get out here and there. But this letter carries with it an authority that was going into the whole world. And so even in that, there's something that says, probably better read it and pay attention to it. But of course, it, it survived time. It got included with the scripture. And uh, even though some of the historians didn't like it, it got into the Bible. Um, because it is very, very practical. And so let's, let's walk through some of it. My friends, be glad even if you have a lot of trouble. Some translations go, count it all joy. You know that you learn to endure by having your faith tested and that if you endure everything, you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. We are not called to pretend. So what do you do with this? Happy, 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 things are falling apart. No. What... What we are called to in the Lord is to begin to attach our lives to the eternal to the degree that the temporal doesn't have the same power over us that it once did. And so even though outward circumstances in the moment may be chaotic and life feels like it's falling apart, there's an awareness that the eternal will not be subverted by the temporal. It's Jesus saying, who for the joy set, or Paul saying of Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. In other words, he, he's acknowledging that there's a joy to come out of this process, and so let's take it on. It's one of the things I look at, and I'm going, in parenting, you try to shelter your kids so that they don't get crushed, but at the same time, it's a mistake not to allow them to process disappointment. It's one of those things where if, if you don't help them get through the process of disappointment, who's going to train them? So you're not trying to avoid it, you know, make everything pleasant so they can just, you know, life will be good, which is... It's idealistic, but it doesn't work, right? I'm, I'm assuming your life isn't 
perfect in this moment. It's, it's the kind of thing that even when many of us have friends who say started smoking pot when they were preteen and went on for years and their emotional maturity never developed past that point until they break it off. Because there's always been that escape. And so they function like a preteen or teen. Way past that season. Those escapes that we tend to, to go after can, can destroy us. I mean, some, you know, we've taken on the whole thing of porn. You know, in your loneliness, if you just head down that road... What's the value? Where does that get you in relationship? Or if you just escape in a book, or you just, you know, some will chase alcohol, or just eating even can have that effect. And if you're looking for escapes rather than facing the situation and learning how to walk through it in the Lord, you never develop the full maturity that's available to you until you turn and face the issue. And so what's, what's being presented to us is you don't step into pretending, but at the same time you acknowledge that our good God has good intent, and so there is a good to be found out of this experience if we'll allow him to bring that to us. He says, if any of you need wisdom, you should ask God and it will be given to you. God is generous and won't correct you for asking. He's fine with you saying, I don't know. I'm not sure where to go with this. What am I supposed to do? He's not going to club you saying, I taught you this already. What? Very similar to Jesus saying, ask. Seek and knock, Matthew 7, 7. Side idea, he's willing to open it up for us. There's a challenge that comes out of this, though. He says, when you ask something, you must have faith and not doubt. Anyone who doubts is like an ocean wave tossed around in a storm. Can't make up your mind? Surely you can't be trusted. Don't expect the Lord to give you anything at all. Things get muddied when we get double-minded. <laughs> Tom Fury is in our congregation. Tim Fury was my best friend in high school. I tend to take short names like that and blend them. Tom, Tim, Bob, Bill. I, my wife has chided me for years because I... I get a short name, and I go, and that's good enough. In our first town, it was Bill's Trading Post and Bob's Grill. I wish it had been Billy Bob's Trading Post and Grill, because I, I, I switched them all the time, and then it became Jim's for some reason or other. <laughs> because, again, you know, it's, it's a short name. For years, I've been, every time I see this man, I have to go, best friend in high school, Tim, Tom. Every time, because it got muddied for me. 
And, and once that happened, you had, I imagine you have your own things where you just kind of, you didn't get it right the first time, and then you start blending it, and it, it just gets confusing. In the same way in the Lord, if you refuse direction from him in that initial thing, it's really hard to figure out what he's saying later on because it gets cloudier and cloudier. Sometimes you have to go back to what he told you last and, and implement that before you get new direction or more direction. Sometimes you have to evaluate and say, is this just a selfish thought or is it God? And how do you find that out regarding the will of God except that you walk through it and you step into a decision at some point? If you refuse to make decisions and you're just kind of waiting for this, you know, undeniable sense, well, good luck, but it doesn't always happen. What we're being offered here is saying, he will provide for you. He will give you direction, but you've got to be willing to take that step of faith that says, I think he spoke to me. And you step forward into it. But if you're going to refuse and say, well, I don't really like what he told me that time, and so, I, you know, who knows what God's saying? You're inviting confusion, like that wave tossed back and forth. And it gets real fuzzy as to what's actually supposed to be happening. So he's, he's presenting a warning to us, but an opportunity at the same time. If you're sincere in this, it's going to happen. If we try to justify our own sin and say, I don't know what God's saying, well, then we can lose the very insight that we've, that we've gained. If we try to just function in our own selfishness and say, I, you know, who knows what God wants, then again, we can muddy the waters. But if we're earnest and honest before the Lord and willing to step forward when he speaks, you gain and you grow in that understanding and the ability to hear his voice. Next, he steps in what some more opposites or counterintuitive things. And if God's people who are poor should be glad that he thinks so highly of them. What? <laughs> we, we place a lot of value on riches, right? We, we chase it. And yet all over the world, there are people who are living impoverished, who have a joyful life, and joyful in God even. And there's more to it than just attaining. And so he says, you know, it's natural to, to crave more. But know that in poverty, your life is still blessed of God. And then he does the opposite. He says, any who are rich should be glad when God makes them humble. He says, rich people disappear. Wealth is fleeting. And he just says, cultivate this humility and recognize that it's not all that as far as the wealth. God will bless you if you don't give up when your faith is being tested. 
he will reward you with a glorious life, just as he rewards everyone who loves him. So he's saying, whether rich or poor, there is a reward in the Lord, but it has to do with the eternal. There's a blessing to be attained in connection with the eternal. Then he goes on and says, don't blame God when you're being tempted. God can't tempt by evil. He doesn't use evil to tempt others. We're tempted by our own desires that drag us off and trap us. Our desires make us sin, and when sin's finished, it leaves us dead. Don't be fooled. It says all of us are susceptible to temptation. What it does, though, is it exposes our heart for what it is. The opportunity is to take that and say, okay, God, you've got to change me here. Come in and, and cleanse my heart. You know, for me, it's like I, I want to look at my own sin and go, how did that happen? What? Boy, I'd love to blame someone else. And at times Satan is involved in you triggering things. But what is it? It's, it's stuff that's stored inside of us. Whether it be our own pride or our lust or our covetousness, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. It's just, you know, the right situation exposes this dreadfulness that we're going, yuck. But it's in that moment that, that we're allowed the cleansing of God to come in and transform us. I love that Kansas City idea that, you know, at least I associate it with them, that God offends the mind to reveal the heart, that there are things that transpire in our lives that, that uh, just crank us up, but really what's happening is it's exposing our thought for what it is. And when that's out there in the open, that's, that's when it can be dealt with. It doesn't just evaporate, but it, it gets brought into place, and then it would say, okay, God, this is not what you want. So regularly, when, when someone's name comes to mind and we recognize that we've been carrying offense, it's, it's not a denial that it's there, but it's a recognition that my attitude isn't right here. So what am I going to do about it? Am I going to release that in the Lord? Or am I just going to continue to carry it? And we have that option to make the choice. 17th verse, this is the one I started in on earlier, but it's every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father who created all the lights of the heavens. He always, always the same and never makes dark shadows by changing. The same constancy that rules the heavens, keeps the stars in place. You know, we looked at Psalm 19 with the sun rising and setting. You know, the, the constancy of what we've known in regard to creation, that's the constancy that he loves and cares for us. And he's not always changing the rules. So it's like you wake up today and, oh, things are different. Sorry, forgot to tell you. You know, like we do when we're teaching our kids games. 
so we can keep winning. Oh, didn't I tell you that rule? I only know that because I've watched some of you. No. (laughs) He doesn't change the rules. He stays constant in his faithfulness and loving. He wanted us to be his own special people, so he sent the true message to give us new birth. Beautiful. Let's move on. My dear friends, you should be quick to listen, slow to speak, or to get angry. If you're angry, you cannot do any of the good things that God wants done. Time we get What we have to evaluate each and every time we get angry at somebody is what's best for the kingdom of God? What's best for their life? What's appropriate in view of God's love? Because every time we get wound up, there's a tendency to defend ourselves. There's a tendency of our own pride to take over. And we can justify it in a godly sense of saying, I'm just establishing truth. You know? I'm just speaking what's real. But it comes out in a nastiness that that is harmful. And that's not consistent with what the kingdom of God is about. And so it has, whatever we do has to be tempered in light of, I'm his servant. I am participant in his kingdom. So before I just go hammering someone, I've got to evaluate what's best for this person. Sometimes a rebuke is appropriate, but as often as not, a loving response is what's required. And we have to learn how to sort that out rather than just react. And he says, you must stop doing anything immoral or evil. Instead, be humble and accept the message that is planted in you to save you. Second time he's used this word humble. You know, remember to the rich, humble yourselves. Now to, the, to just accepting the word of God. Obey, accept the message that is planted in you to save you. Obey God's message. Don't fool yourselves just by listening to it. So early in this chapter, he's saying, if you ask for wisdom, don't be double-minded and just washing back and forth. Now he's making a similar declaration. If you have received this message from the Lord, you've got to step forward into obedience, or again, it gets muddied. Don't fool yourselves just by listening, he says. This can be destructive. You hear it, but you don't respond. And so what are you left with? This is where he goes on and gives the illustration. He says, if you hear the message and don't obey it, you're like people who stare at themselves in a mirror and forget what they look like as soon as they leave. So you spend time with the Lord You get an insight, you hear what he has to say, you're looking at that and its application for life, and you decide, ah. You walk away and just refuse to step forward into the full obedience of that application. He's going, it's like you've been looking at yourself and then you forget. You abandon it. 
But you must never stop looking at the perfect law that sets you free. So he's saying when, when God reveals what's truth and what's to be obeyed and how things are to be lived, then you've got to step forward in that obedience with it so that you can retain that understanding of what you actually look like in him, so to speak. He says, God will bless you in everything you do if you listen and obey and don't just hear and forget. So, again, how do we retain a joy that isn't just pretend? Well, we have to look at the eternal, right? We have to retain what we see when we see it. When we hear his voice of wisdom that says, this is what I want, and when we understand what, in a sense, he is saying, this is what you're to obey, then we step forward into that believing that no matter what the circumstances are, there's a joy to be attained in this obedience in him. Just a few verses to end this chapter. If you think you're being religious and can't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself, and everything you do is useless. And then finally, religion that pleases God and our Father must be pure and spotless. Help, needy, help the needy, orphans and widows, and do not let this world make you. Or, <laughs> I've learned enough different translations that I can't read any of them straight. Not let this world make you evil. Okay. So there we have it. A very practical application of his word for today. Lord, help us to see and to apply, to walk with your joy in regard to the eternal, to spend enough time connected to the eternal that the temporal doesn't rule our lives. It's counterintuitive in many ways, and yet it's life for us. Amen.